Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. Never before have so many people rallied around a common cause. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, learning, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I co-lead a climate venturing practice at the design firm IDEO, supporting early-stage climate founders and organizations. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and have realized that when it comes to climate action, I'll be a lifelong learner looking for the best ways to have a climate-positive impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found us. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Find episodes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. Thanks for joining. I've been working on this issue for a decade. When I started, literally nobody was talking about this. The conversation that we need to look at how much we are wasting and reduce it was not a conversation. It was not part of any sustainable food discussions. And now you will see it as a key pillar in almost any sustainable food or future food discussion. Every major company out there is thinking about it. We have over 200 global companies that have um, made a commitment to that 2030 goal to cut food waste in half. We have some of them making significant progress. We have companies like Too Good to Go and others that are increasing or just growing really fast. We've started tracking capital investment in the space, private investment in the space. We've seen that number double year over year for the last two years. Hey folks, today's episode focuses on food waste. It's a topic I love talking about as it's one of the most accessible ways for pretty much anyone to make a difference on climate change. You might not know it, but wasting food is a really big problem. 40% of the world's food is wasted each year, while almost a billion people go undernourished. And the emissions from wasted food add up to 8 to 10% of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. Like many people working on this issue, my understanding of the food waste opportunity was shaped by an organization called ReFed. They launched in 2015 and have been one of the best examples of an organization accelerating investment and entrepreneurship through data, storytelling, and partnerships. For today's episode, we're fortunate to be joined by Dana Gunders, Executive Director of ReFed. Prior to joining ReFed, Dana wrote the book, The Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, A Guide to Eating Well and Saving Money by Wasting Less Food. We're also joined by Gaylene Quinn, Head of Impact for the fast-growing food waste startup, Too Good to Go, which enables retailers to offer soon-to-be-wasted food to consumers at a discount. We talk about a wide range of opportunities for eliminating food waste, as well as Gaylene and Dana's insights to growing this emerging innovation space. No matter who you are, if you buy and eat food, I'm sure you'll find something immediately useful in this episode. Here we go. Dana and Gaylene, welcome to Invested in Climate. So great to have you both here today. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, I've already heard that one of you is in New York, the other is in Tahoe. So I won't ask you that as our beginning banter question. But since we're talking about food, I'll ask you what you both ate for breakfast and did you waste any of it? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked me that question because today I was a shining example. So thanks for asking it today and not another day. 
I actually, I had a fried egg with not cabbage, but you know that part of the cauliflower that when you get the cauliflower and you cut it off and there's like those leaves, well, I like to use those as cabbage. And so I sauteed it up and had that with my egg. What a great answer. I didn't know you could use those. This is fantastic. Gaylene, what about you? Great answer, Dana. So not as healthy as Dana's, but uh, I had a big cup of coffee this morning and I brought to the office this big peach and cherry pie that I got uh, at a farm yesterday. And I knew I was not going to eat it uh, on my own. So I brought it here and it lasted like 15 minutes. So it was, it was, it was yummy. Well, great. Very, I guess, nutritious, delightful, and non-wasteful starts to your day. Let's dive in. There's so much that I want to learn about and talk about with you both today. And let's get started with a high-level view, really, of the food waste space. Dana, I'd love to get into really the problem that you're working to solve. Tell us about why food waste matters, and in particular, why it matters to climate change. At the highest level, We are facing a future in 2050 that the World Resources Institute, the United Nations, and others have estimated we will need about 50% more food to feed the population then than we have now. So then the question becomes, where will that food come from, right? Will we start to continue to convert native grasslands and, you know, forests, native forests to agricultural land? Or will we use the food that we're already producing to actually meet some of that need? So we estimate that about 20 to 25% of that future need could be met by food that we are already producing, because we are overproducing around the globe by about one third. And that means that one third of all the food is not being eaten. And this has enormous effects when you consider, you know, how much it takes to grow, transport, cool, cook, store, you know, all of what it takes to get food to your table. And that has a great greenhouse gas footprint. It also, you know, has significant impacts in terms of water and soil and and even air. So that's, you know, I think at the heart of the problem. And of course, this is all happening while there are still a lot of food insecure people in the US right here, as well as around the planet. And so there's kind of this moral component to it as well. Like, how can we be wasting food when we know that there are people who actually still really need that food? From a greenhouse gas perspective, it is a a powerful solution, to be honest. Uh, Project Drawdown has actually ranked it the number one solution to climate change. Their estimate is that it could save 10 times more greenhouse gases than converting the entire passenger fleet to electric vehicles. Wow. Just to give you a sense of the magnitude. But I don't think that often like is a obvious connection for people in the way that electrical vehicles are. So let me just break it down for you a sec. There's really kind of three reasons why wasting less food helps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The first is, is sort of the most, I guess, clear. And that is that when food goes to the landfill, it decays and it produces methane, which we're hearing more and more about as, you know, a powerful and short term climate pollutant. The second reason is that, as I mentioned before, kind of when we grow food, and transport it and cool it and cook it and do all those things, like all of that is for naught if we're not actually eating that food. And so there's kind of this embedded footprint in the waste. The third is 
that land conversion potential, that agriculture is one of the main pressures that's really leading us to convert land. And therefore, you know, if we can reduce those pressures, that can help. And the estimate is that if we were to cut food waste in half, it could save a land area the size of Argentina. And it could reduce biodiversity losses by 17% or more, as well as have enormous climate benefits. Thank you for that context. And so thrilled for this conversation where both of you are working actively on this topic to reduce food waste in the US and around the world. Dana, let's start with you. You know that I'm a big fan of your organization, having worked closely with ReFed uh, really at the beginning of when you first got started. Uh, We collaborated on a food waste startup competition several years ago. Why don't you kick us off and just share what ReFed is and the role that you're playing? So we are a national nonprofit. We really focus on the U.S. and we are entirely dedicated to reducing the amount of food that goes to waste around the country. And we do that through providing data and insights on the topic by working with investors and foundations on where they might invest and, and really catalyze those investments. We work with, we call them solution providers, but any organization that's working to really provide some kind of solution on the, on the issue to help them you know, be seen, understand the context. We have a whole directory with 1,500 organizations now as part of that and kind of make that match between those wanting to put money in and those those needing to raise it. And then we act as, as a hub and connector. I like to think of us as kind of the quarterback in the space. And so we really, we host a network on the topic. We host the big national summit. We do a ton of like one-to-one connecting and really benefit from having this 50,000 foot view of the issue where we're able to really bring different stakeholders in to tackle the, you know more specific aspects of the problem. And a big part of the role that I think you've been playing is really helping investors understand the opportunity to invest in food waste, food waste solutions. And part of how you've done that is helping them understand different categories of food waste opportunities. Help us understand what are some of those categories and which ones offer the most leverage right now? Where we're seeing the most traction, and, and it's not that surprising, but are in those places where there's something new about some technology capacity right now, like some new technological capacity that can help businesses save waste within their four walls. You know, things like ways to use big data to be more precise in how businesses are forecasting and therefore, you know, how much how much they're purchasing and moving into their stores in order to meet sales is one space we're seeing a lot of movement image recognition, right? And how can like new imaging capabilities impact the supply chain in ways that, you know, we could actually look inside a strawberry now and get a better sense of when it's going to go bad. We can monitor temperature exposure much more specifically than we used to be able to. So we could know if a pallet of strawberries has been exposed to temperature for longer, it's not going to last as long. So let's send that to a closer store and let's send the one with longer shelf life to a further store. So, you know, it's really helping to kind of get more precise within the supply chain. I think those are some of the things we're seeing really pop. And then of course, um, the category we describe as markdown alert applications, but just this ability now that we have to flash information to a huge group of people has allowed for this evolution of the 50% off sticker (laughs) into a much more precise tool that can adjust prices, but it can get this 
this message out to a wide variety of people that, hey, this food's about to go to waste. You know, can we get it to you at a discount? And that's, you know, happening in retail as well as food service. That is a perfect segue to talk to Gaylene. But before we go there, I want to just try to better understand just the, really the high level context is that refed is working and there's an opportunity for innovation really from the post harvest moment through to food waste prevention, whether it's at a retail or a business to food recovery. So food that's already been served and being able to divert it and put it into use in other ways. And so when you think of it at that level, is it clear where we need to focus most? and where there's most opportunity for impact? Yeah, I mean, it certainly falls within prevention. So we like to think of this similar to the recycling mantra of reduce, reuse, recycle. You can take a similar approach with food that says, first, let's not produce too much in the first place. Let's prevent that surplus from ever occurring. And when you do that, that's when you really get at, you know, the environmental impacts, the climate implications, as well as typically the cost savings. So that's really where we invest our time and energy and like to see time and energy invested. Only once you've done that, then let's look at, okay, we have extra food. Let's find a way for people to eat that and not have it go to waste. And then once we've done that and, you know, exhausted all opportunities, okay, now let's look at other solutions like, you know, feeding animals in some cases, composting in others, you know, let's find a better way to use that than just simply sending it to the landfill. Um, but certainly, I think prevention measures have their highest bang for buck. It's where we're seeing the most traction in the startup, you know, in the startups who are working on this issue as well, because if you're wasting a lot of food, you're wasting a lot of money, right? So anything that can help you stop doing that has a business proposition with it. Fantastic. Gaylene, let's turn to you. Dana absolutely offer the perfect segue to start getting specific. And Sarge have left you out of, of the conversation so far, but really want to set the stage for the important role that your company is playing. So let's start just by hearing what Too Good To Go is doing and the problem that you're aiming to solve. The problem is, of course, food waste. We are obsessed as much as Dana, uh, I would say. And uh, really, you know, making sure that we are tackling the problem and finding a solution that makes sense for the consumers, for the food generators, and for the client, for the, you know, for the world, obviously. So what we do is that we created a community of waste warriors that through technology connect so that we can make sure that no food goes to waste. Uh, basically, we help consumers connect with restaurants and retailers that have surplus food. And that way, we make a very easy proposition for both consumers and for businesses to actually join our fight against food waste. And I, I really talk about how easy it is because I come from the restaurant world and I used to have my own cafe. And I know that sometimes... Like making the, the, the right decision and, and doing the right thing, it's not the most convenient. And that's when you run into problems. So we really try to make it financially appealing and also operationally appealing so that it actually happens. And because of that, I'm happy to say that we've now saved over 147 million meals from going to the trash. And to give you an idea, we saved two meals from going to the trash every second of the day. So that's kind of like to help you understand the impact of a simple solution with a lot of like-minded people. A lot of like-minded people. Give us a sense of how many and is also how many restaurants or other or retail partners are you working with? 
worldwide, we have over 120,000 retailers, restaurants that are have joined the fight against food waste. Uh, here in the U.S. only, we have around 10,000 restaurants, stores. We are right now in 12 cities across the country. And we here in the U.S., we have around 3 million consumers, so waste warriors, that have joined the platform and kind of like make it a habit of just doing the right thing and why not saving some delicious food from going to trash and buying it at a convenient price. Well, your model seems like a real win-win opportunity. It's, it's just good for everyone. You're reducing waste and helping uh, customers spend less money on food that is still great and delicious. But of course, building a two-sided marketplace can be difficult. What's been the hardest part of gaining market adoption? We started in 2016 in Denmark, and we are now in 17 countries. We've been in the U.S. for uh, a couple of years now. And I think that the really interesting thing is how can we scale and really grow our movement and our impact and going through different countries with different cultures, different understandings of what food waste is, and kind of like making them understand and helping them create awareness around the issue, but also and mainly around the solutions. And, you know, as Dana was saying before, we are kind of like one of the very few consumer-driven solutions out there, but there are many solutions that are actually um, very impactful And I think that the more that people know about the issue and the solutions, the more that they will feel, oh, my God, this is such a big thing. Climate change is so huge that there's nothing I can do. And they feel completely powerless. And, you know, too good to go is actually a way of saying, yes, you know, it is a big deal. Food waste matters, but you are also part of the solution. I'm really curious about the geographic reach that you mentioned. You have a presence in many different countries. And that actually strikes me as as potentially really challenging, right? As your model relies on building a local community, again, the two-sided marketplace, also understanding local market conditions and regulations, coordinating with local stakeholders every step of the way. Has scaling geographically been a challenge? And how are you thinking about growth in the future? In the US, the challenge has been that we have consumers in different parts of the country that are actually emailing us and contacting us and asking us to be there because they want their community to be not only part of the solution, but also to take advantage of the benefits that Too Good To Go brings. And our challenge is really to have the possibility to go as fast as the communities need us to be so that we can actually help them kind of like bring, be back, be part of, of the solution. So I think that that's definitely one of one of the main challenges. And in terms of uh, regulations, Dana will actually know much more about this. But um, fortunately, there is a lot that has happened in the last couple of years in terms of, of regulations and new laws and bans. So that's actually great. But it's just still very limited. So it's, it's still just happening in... I think it's like around five states only. And the good news is that there is much more that is being proposed and that's and there is much more that is being on the agendas of different Congress people. So we're really hoping that things are mo- starting to move fast in terms of creating bills and regulations that promote food waste prevention, but that's definitely still in the works. So, I mean, for now, we're really, you know, a social impact company that is really just working very hard to increase our impact and 
get to as many communities in the country as fast as possible. I'm sure as you grow, you are learning a ton about both consumer behavior as well as the retailers. And I'm curious, when you hear from retailers that won't work with Too Good To Go for some reason, why is it that they're not getting on board? And if they're still interested in preventing or reducing food waste, what else can they do? Many retailers, I mean, I would say every retailer is actually very much committed to helping people on the food insecurity side and also on preventing food waste because nobody in the food world likes to to waste any food, uh, you know, food that we pay for, that we work for, that we care for, really. So there is always kind of like the, the interest in the intention of let's do something about it. And I, I think that maybe the challenge in this still post-COVID world, which, you know, we sometimes feel like, okay, that's over and we're like in a different era. And we're not really in the sense that both retailers, restaurants are still kind of like struggling to understand how to move forward. There are still um, labor shortages. It's a reality. So so it's more of a, a lack of understanding of how easy the solution is instead of uh, a lack of intention. And they, as I said before, many retailers already have great solutions. And we are really looking for a way of making sure that no food goes to waste. So having the possibility to save, I don't know, 50% or 80% of your surplus is just not enough because that's just not helping uh, the environment and it just doesn't make sense. So that's kind of like where the conversation goes is like, you know, 50%, saving 50% of your surplus maybe was enough before, but is not enough now. Gaylene, you're currently the head of impact for Too Good To Go, and not all startups have someone in that position. So tell us, what is it that you personally work on every day? And given that the business is naturally impactful, why is it so important to, to have someone in that distinct role? That's actually a really good point. We measure our success by the number of meals that we save on a daily basis. And that's really key to the reason why we're here. Everyone in the company is really working towards saving more meals. And it's our obsession. On the impact side, it's more about the indirect impact of things. So it's more about how can we start building strategies around policy changes, around working with charity partners, around working with schools and education to actually make sure that this is something that we are tackling in the short term, but that we're also thinking and building for the longer term to make sure that there are strategies in place, that there are ways of actually impacting our environment and the world on the prevention side. So that's kind of like one main focus for us. And then the other one is also understanding how can we at the same time reduce food insecurity. It's always been our main focus, of course, to fight food waste. But we've also realized, and actually I have to say that being in the U.S. has been very eye-opening for us in the sense that we realize that this is something that is connected and that because of what we know, because of our technology, we can actually help. So that's kind of like part of the process of what we're creating and hopefully bring to life in 2023. 
Gailey, you mentioned the different types of partnerships that you have with schools and community organizations. Let's dive into that just for a second and I'd love it if you could just provide an example or two. And you know, I think this is particularly interesting because there might be listeners that work at an organization or a part of a community organization that maybe has an opportunity to partner with your company or with other food waste prevention organizations. On one side, we are working towards building more and more awareness at the consumer level. So we're always interested in just spreading the word about food waste, why it matters, why we have to all kind of like fight it. And then on the other hand, it's also about rescuing food. So to give you an example, we work with some food banks in the country like City Harvest and the San Francisco Marine Food Bank, Phil Abundance, Greater Chicago Food Depository, to just name a few players in the non-for-profit side of things. And what we're trying to do together is partners so that we can make sure that no food goes to waste and really optimizing the relationships that we have with retailers, with restaurants to potentially increase donations and everything with the focus and with the objective of making sure that no food um, goes wasted. So that's, that's an example here in the US. In Europe, we've done tons of things. We've actually been very, very active on changing policies around day labeling together with some manufacturers in Europe. You know, Danone was was one of our biggest partners over there. And we were actually able to change policies and create change for the industry. So we had a whole campaign around it. Uh, we've also printed books for schools so that they learn about food waste, why it matters, and all the tips and tricks of the things that you can do to prevent it. Let's turn now to what everyday people can do. And so a question for both of you, I've seen that almost half of all food wasted in the U.S. is thrown away at home. And so I'm curious, what have you learned about why so much food gets wasted? And what are the most effective ways for all of us to reduce or eliminate food waste? Dana, why don't we start with you? Indeed, you know, all 330 million of us in the US in our homes and around the world add up to a lot of science experiments getting thrown out, a lot of leftovers not being eaten, a lot of produce spoiling. You know, I think it boils down to the fact that we're not great food managers, right? When you go to a restaurant, like they are trained. If you go to culinary school, you're trained not only in how to cook the food, but in how to plan your menus and how to store the food properly and how to order the right amounts, kind of plan for that. But we never get that education as individuals. And, you know, when you trace it back, that's really what's leading to a lot of our waste. We're not, you know, we, we are very aspirational when we go to the grocery stores. We like to walk through the halls and be like, I'm going to try this new vegetable and I'm going to eat really healthy this week and all that. And then life happens and we don't necessarily execute on all of that. Shopping is a really important moment for not wasting food. And the, and the other challenge is that, you know, the waste happens a lot later than the activities that we need to promote in order to not waste food. So shopping is that moment where you're really committing to your food. And it's a moment to be very careful in what you're buying, whether you know, you're like an A plus student and actually plan your meals out and create a shopping list and actually stick to it in the store. That's probably the, the most ideal behavior. But if you're not, you can still sort of look back in your cart and make sure that you actually have like a time that exact week to really eat the products you're getting. Because a lot of times we 
we buy on habits and then, but we don't think about the fact that we have, you know, seven plans that week. We also buy on impulse and actually over half of purchases in stores are unplanned, which means that, you know, there's a lot of sort of potential for things not to get used up. So that's great. Storing your food properly, you know, learning, you know, what goes in the crisper drawer and how to use those things. Making sure your refrigerator is at 40 degrees or less is actually a really simple way to make sure you're really storing food well. I like to promote freezing. I'm I'm a big fan of it. Freezers are like a magic pause button for food. And, you know, you can kind of throw anything in there. They don't have to be for long-term storage. You don't have to put stuff in there for six months and lose it. You can actually just pop those leftovers that you're sick of in there, take them out a few days later, and you'll probably be really happy to see them. Those are a few things. Jaylene mentioned the work they've been doing in Europe on date labels, and it's really tremendous. It's been in the news a lot lately that a lot of the grocery stores in the UK and elsewhere in Europe are actually moving away from date labels on their product at all. They had an amazing campaign with Danone and others that said, what was it, Gaylene? It was like, taste it, smell it. What was it? And look. Look, smell, taste, don't waste. Something if like it that. smells good, if it looks good, and if it tastes good, then you can have it. Kind of like the way our grandmas used to do it. Which they had on their package, which honestly was like jaw dropping for me because it's so far from like what you would see here in the U.S., the reality is that you know the vast majority of the date labels on our food are just meant to indicate quality. They're guesses anyways, and they're only guesses at quality. And they're really not telling you about the safety of the food. They're not telling you to throw the food out. And your senses are very, very well equipped to be able to you know know when not to eat food anymore. And so it's pretty tremendous that they're kind of moving to that in Europe right now. Here in the U.S., it also changes state by state. So there's no federal policy on date labeling, which is, I think, part of the problem for sure. So to give you an idea, 10% of the waste that happens at the retail level comes from date labeling. So you can imagine the millions of pounds of food that goes wasted because of that. Dana, I love the idea of when you're shopping for food, you're making a commitment to the food. Almost imagine like if we think of it in that way, we're in some ways buying it as a commitment ceremony to actually consume it. And just that little bit of reflection might make a lot of, of difference in terms of really thinking through, are you going to, do you have the time? And then when it's in your home to make sure to use it. If we are actually able to kind of like give the value of food back to food so we remember what it means and and remember everything that goes into making a loaf of bread so that we remember you know the water that it takes the soil that it takes like all the resources uh, then i think we would have a different relationship uh, with food and we would actually be able to have a better understanding of the magnitude of food waste as a problem and and we would be more inclined to actually be part of the solution as consumers. So definitely, I think creating more awareness around the issue, it's key. I would add one more tip that seemed to be having some traction these days and, and useful is having a fridge night. Like some people call it uh, waste less Wednesdays, other people call it stir Fridays, but like that night where you kind of 
have some dish that can use everything up, whether it's soup or stir fry or tacos or, or whatever, and just kind of going through your fridge and figuring out how to make dinner before you really go back to the store. Yeah, I love that. In our home, we call it kitchen sink night. And our kids have learned to love it. Is At beginning, kids are sort of food waste culprits of not having the same type of commitment or or care. Uh, if they just don't want something, they leave it. But we actually get them activated and excited about emptying the fridge uh, and making sure that we use things. Love that idea. Yeah, it's been fun. Dana, I think back to when I collaborated with Refed, I think it was 2016. And this space was really in a nascent stage. And learning about Too Good To Go and hearing about so many successful food waste startups over the years has been really encouraging. And I mean, this is exactly the type of entrepreneurial energy that we all hope to see. But of course, the problem is still massive. And so I'm curious, how are we doing? Refed set out with a goal of cutting food waste in half in the US by 2030. Are we on track? And what else needs to happen? My goodness, we are nowhere on track. (laughs) Sadly, I wish I could say we were more on track. I'm hugely optimistic by all of the progress that we are seeing. When we look at our numbers, our best estimate is that up until 2016, food waste was really rising and, and the curve kind of flattened out in 2016. If you look at it from a per capita perspective, it's actually decreased about 2% since 2016. Actually, that's a 2019 estimate. So the last couple of years, we're still working to, to estimate there. But you know, 2% is, is hopeful. I like to think of us as past peak waste in my mind. But of course, 2% is nowhere near 50, right? So we really need a huge acceleration in efforts. It's very inspiring to see companies like Too Good To Go, like sweeping the globe. It's just tremendous how much reception there's been to what they're doing. Um, And there are other companies as well that are really getting a lot of traction in certain corners of this waste problem. And I think it's important to know that this is not one problem, right? We like to talk about this as if it's one problem, but it's very different when you're looking at tomatoes that don't get harvested on a giant field versus you know, where, where Gaylene and Too Good To Go are operating, which is, you know, the sandwiches that don't get bought and are still around at the end of the night at the deli. It's also very dispersed. And then we have the challenge that when the waste is happening, it's too late. And so we really need to put on, you know, Jason, like that design mindset around this issue and look at it from that perspective and go, how do we how are we currently designing this into the system? And how can we change things to design it out? Because there are ways where we are designing it in, you know, last year, the World Wildlife Fund came out with a report about farm produce. And up until then, it was wildly thought that, you know, in developing countries, their problem is kind of early in the supply chain, getting food to the market. And in developed countries, we waste it after that. Well, it turns out that their reporting shows that actually developed countries are wasting more at the farm level than developing countries. And that is, we're designing that into the system right now. We are choosing to require three weeks of shelf life for, you know, products that could be eaten with two weeks left. Or, you know, I could give you all sorts of other examples. But having said that all, I've been working on this issue for a decade. When I started, literally nobody was talking about this. 
the conversation that we need to look at how much we are wasting and reduce it was not a conversation. It was not part of any sustainable food discussions. And now you will see it as a key pillar in almost any, you know, sustainable food or future food discussion. Every major company out there is thinking about it. We have over 200 global companies that have um, made a commitment to that 2030 goal to cut food waste in half. We have some of them making significant progress. We have companies like Too Good To Go and others that are growing really fast. We've started tracking capital investment in the space, private investment in the space. We've seen that number double year over year for the last two years. So we're really optimistic that that acceleration is starting to happen. I do get a little bit disappointed when I see huge, I mean, I'm thrilled to see the climate bill that just passed. Nothing could make me happier. But my small bit of disappointment in there is that food and all of the opportunity, you know, our food system is estimated to be about a quarter of our country's greenhouse gas footprint. And yet 20 billion of the 370 billion are going to the food sector. So I think there's a lot more that we can do. And people are just kind of waking up to the opportunity that food presents when it comes to greenhouse gas mitigation and adaptation strategies. And so, you know, I certainly expect we are going to see a ton of activity in the coming years. We still have the farm bill coming up next year. So hopefully we'll have more of a budget there to tackle food waste. Dana, I share the same observation, having been around the space for many years, and you know, I was at the ReFed launch event and uh, really got the sense that there was no entrepreneurial activity. There weren't startups like Too Good To Go. There wasn't investment. And I think ReFed's history and experiences is really unique. It's To me, it's one of the best examples I've seen of research and thought leadership and coalition building really raising awareness quickly and accelerating innovation and investment in a space. And I think, this is my outside observation, but I think central to your success has been your ability to break down a huge problem using data and really clear, compelling data visualizations that not only make clear where investment is needed, but also the business case for investing in food waste. And so I'm curious as a question for both of you, because I know that data is, is part of your everyday is what have you learned about making immense amounts of data inspiring and actionable? Well, I think it's important to pair with storytelling, I think is one thing I learned. And especially in this topic where data is a different word, depending on who you're talking to, right? It, it can be interpreted in a lot of ways. And in this particular issue, it's really challenging, right? We don't have a camera and a scale on every garbage can out there to tell you what is actually being thrown out. It's a lot of estimates. It's a lot of assumptions. It's a lot of extrapolations. If you don't pair that with really strong anecdotes of what's working, it can not always present the right momentum, I think. So I think that's been some of my learning is like, yes, we have that data Let's make it customizable. I think that's something we've really learned is if you're working as a field catalyst as we are, right, and really trying to move this whole field forward, you have a lot of different stakeholders. I mean, designing our website was like an amusing proposition because, because of course, the first question people ask is like, well, who's your audience? And I'm like, well, here's the seven different people I'm going to give you as our audience. Well, you have to prioritize. Well, I get that, but also... No, because there are a ton of different people. And I think 
that army that Galen is talking about is such a critical component of this. This is not just about high powered people sitting in their offices in a business or in policy making decisions. Like the ground game on this issue is really critical because it's so dispersed. And so presenting it in a way that can resonate with those who are decision makers, but then also those who are leading the go green team at their elementary school or, you know, working on the farmer's market in their town, like that's all necessary. So really like navigable, customizable, our tool allows you to search by, you know, financials, by food that you're going to save, but also by greenhouse gas impact. So depending on who you are and what you care about, you can, you know, cut, slice and dice it by those things. You can slice and dice it by sector. So really, again, allowing people to narrow in on what they care about. I think you can reach a lot of people. Yeah, for us, the work that Refit has done has actually been incredibly important because it gave us an overview of where we're going, right? Like before we actually entered the U.S., we needed to understand where can we be most impactful. So all the information that and all the data that Dana and her team and other organizations like NRDC and World Wildlife Fund, it's been key for us to actually be able to understand where and how to be more impactful. I do have to say that, as Dana was saying, you know, there is so much more work that has to be done. And, you know, at the retail level, for example, even retailers need to understand better where is the waste and understand it so that they can actually come up with better and more solutions. So, so it definitely, it's definitely part of it. I, I also agree what uh, on what Dana was saying about the storytelling part of things. That's one of the the reasons that we are actually measuring everything on on meal safe because we really think that this is a much easier way to help people understand how they can impact the problem and and really be part of the solution. The combination between the number of meals that you're able to save and then the CO2 equivalents to it. People are ready to act at different levels. And I think if you can kind of meet them where they are, that's really critical. So for instance, during COVID, we had a, you know, food waste was on the front page a lot when the pandemic first hit. And we got a lot of interested donors saying, hey, we want to give to this issue, but like, we don't know who. And we realized that instead of saying, oh, you're in Philadelphia, you should give to this organization, you're here, you should do this. We just said, hey, we know everyone on the ground. Why don't you give it to us? We're going to give it out. And we kind of allowed for that action at that level, right? Okay, you want to lump it together and took more of a fund approach to giving in that arena, which we've now realized is something we can continue to do on a more evergreen basis, because that's kind of the level people are ready for. And, and I guess when it comes to the data part of that, it's like, data is not always just numbers. Information is really critical too, and kind of a knowledge of what works and where it's happening. And, you know, what's on the ground and being able to take something that's working in Philadelphia and recommend it to somebody who's doing it in Seattle, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that, like knowledge sharing, is a really important component of moving a field along in the right direction that sometimes gets missed when we think about data only as numbers and not as like knowledge and information. That's actually a really good point, Dana, because I think that a big part of what we are all trying to do is really to collaborate 
so that when we come in as okay, there is food waste and there is a problem. There is also a collection of solutions and we can all work together to help um, different players in the industry. Perfect. Let's turn our sights now to the future. You both have so much going on. Gaylene, your company is growing quickly, entering new markets, uh, gaining adoption on, on both sides of the marketplace. Dana, a view of your website just gives a sense of how many different products and, and areas where you're working. You have a, a capital tracker that helps people see the kinds of investments being made into the space, how investments are growing. You have a solutions database and a solutions uh, provider directory, an impact calculator, and much more. You also have a big new investment partnership, a $100 million funding platform with Closed Loop Partners, a fantastic firm that we at IDEO have gotten to work with several times and running startup competitions and accelerators. And so I'll, I'll let you both guide us. Tell us about the things that you're most excited about that you're working on right now. Gaylene, maybe we'll start with you. Sure. As I mentioned at the beginning, one of uh, the new things that we're working on is understanding how we as a company with all the strengths that we have in the different markets can help reduce food insecurity as part of our goals. And of course, having that kind of like holistic view of food waste, food insecurity and technology and how we can really help tackle those issues at the same time, how we can impact more communities faster. So, of course, at the same time, you know, we are a social impact company, but we are a company. So we at the same time have to make sure that we are a responsible business for our employees, for our investors. So it's kind of like making sure that we impact and scale as fast as possible and at the same time be able to grow a healthy business. That's great. Yeah. And I would say for us, you know, we are, for the most part, doubling down on kind of our, our core pillars of work. So, you know, we're really trying to revamp and upgrade our whole approach to data right now. We've had a great partnership with Google that's really been helpful to us kind of figuring out how to structure that. We did just launch this platform to catalyze both private investment. So our goal is to raise $80 million in private investment and $20 million in philanthropic to really catalyze just investment in the space holistically and that blended finance approach. And then I would say the new thing that we're really building right now is our, our business initiative work because we've had so many companies come to us and say, hey, we want to work with us. And the last thing we want to do is say, like, we can't, we're too small, we don't know how to work with you. So we're really looking at how do we build on like all of this analysis that we're sitting on in a way that can scale and help companies as they come to this issue and want to develop a strategy around it. Um, you know, how can we really kind of help them leapfrog past the basic learning curve and get on their way? A final question for the two of you, and we'll get a hypothetical here for a second. Let's say I have a magic wand. I can't promise that I actually have this magic wand, but maybe one of our listeners will. What is it that you change that would really unlock your company or your organization's potential? What would you like to change about the space or things that you're working on that would really just help you accelerate the progress that you're making? It's really all about preventing waste from happening. We're always thinking that it would be great if we're, we are out of business because 
there is just no waste. So that magic one would be if people are so obsessed with food in general that they actually take care of every single gram so that it doesn't go to waste from both the consumer side from both the producer side. And of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why it's, you know, a magical way of thinking. But that would be kind of like my wish. I think mine is a little more wonky. My magic wand would have every household and business in this country be both weighing and have an image component to their waste and have like a smart meter approach. In South Korea, they actually charge people to throw out their food waste by the pound. And I think right now it's so invisible to us. And so if we could really make it visible, you know, manage what we measure and have a financial incentive to reduce it, I think so much of this other stuff could go away because we would just have that really direct fundamental incentive. I love both the the simplicity and the high-tech visions that you've shared, as well as all of the, the insights to the work that you're doing and the progress and the challenge ahead of us. Dana, Gaylene, thank you both so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed this conversation and we'll definitely continue to follow the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for hosting us. Thank you for having us, Jason. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, Sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.